0: Welcome to the Grove Community Church sermon podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Controlled chaos. That's kind of what youth ministry is sometimes. Absolutely just chaos, but that you somehow try to keep it in bounds, controlled Chaos. One time when I was doing youth ministry in Kentucky, we did this big event that was on New Year's Eve and it was the turn of the century. So it was 1999, moving into 2000. And on everybody's mind was Y2K. Which I was like, ah, it's going to be, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. You know, I was kind of this nonchalant, but man, if you lived through that, you know how chaotic that was and how many people were so fearful and scared. And so we had this huge event, and I think there were, Laura could probably remember better than me, but I think there were like six youth groups that put this event on together. And because it was such a large number of kids, we had to rent out the college rec center, like the whole rec center. And we had games going, and we had a a mountain climbing wall going. I mean, it was everything that you could imagine. And it was just complete controlled chaos. And at the end of the night, leading up into the New Year's, we were going to do a lesson, and then this prayer time, and then launch into the countdown. But we couldn't get, and we're going to pull it up on the screen and count down with... with, uh, with um, New York because we were in the the right time zone there for that. We were in the eastern time zone. And so, you know, here we are, all these, I don't even know how many kids showed up. Uh, I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of kids. It controlled chaos, and the projector won't work. This is a common theme, right? We've had it here. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So while I'm giving the lesson, because I was the one doing the, I was doing the speaking that night, while I was doing the speaking, there was just chaos in the back, and people were trying to do this, and there was distractions, and I felt like, man, there's no way anything good is going to come out of this, like this is just completely wrecked, and this was a waste of time, and it's chaos, and this is going to be just brutal cleanup, and all, the, all those negative thoughts going through my mind as the people were scrambling in the back trying to get it loaded up, and then finally they did. And when they did, I realized that I only had like 30 seconds to wrap up, to do a prayer, and to get to the countdown. And it all happened. Now, we entered the countdown with five seconds left, but we got there. And that night, despite the chaos, despite kids being there that were there just for the climbing wall and just because that pretty girl or that handsome guy was going to be there, all of the stuff that went on that night, and, and just the, the total work that went on into doing this huge event, and it felt just so, such a waste of time, despite that, God moved. You see, God does things despite us, despite our failures, despite technology messing up on us. Despite distractions, despite our wrong motives, God still moves and works. As we continue this look into David's life, we're going to take a step, one more look at really less about David and more about this character, Abner. For those of you that weren't here last week, we talked about Abner and, and how Abner kind of led this, this war against um, Joab and David. So you had Joab and David, on, David on one side, and you had Abner and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, on the other side, and they were kind of battling back and forth. And there was this big battle. And we talked about how Abner had these kind of—he um, he just kind of charged on, and that he was driven by uh, by maybe loyalty, but certainly out of self-preservation. He wanted power. He wanted it for himself. And we talked about how all too often. It's easy to fall into Abner's mindset where we want to control everything. Well, we're going to continue the story about Abner, we're going to look at how the story switches. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 3. We're going to actually start in verse 6 because verse 2 is a list of six children that David sired by six different women. Yeah, we'll get into that when time comes. It's a different mindset. It's a different, it's a different thing, and it, it was a thing, um, and we will talk about that at some point. But Today's not the day. We're going to continue this story of Abner. That, this list of six children born to, to David, or six sons born to David, is actually um, interrupts this dialogue or this narrative, I'm sorry, this narrative about Abner. So we're going to look at verse 6 through verse 16. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now, Abner was the, was the right-hand man to Saul before he died. He was his general. He was his chief of staff. He was everything. He, had, he was the second most powerful person in the kingdom under Saul. And so, Abner continues to war with David. Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth the son of saul is the king but abner's really the one with all the power right and so there's this continual there's this continual battle with david and his people and abner and ishbosheth but abner was positioning himself to gain strength in the house of saul more and more he became the one that was in charge and ishbosheth was just a figure now saul had a concubine whose name was Ritzpah, the daughter of Ayah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? So, full stop here. Concubine was this weird thing. It was not your wife, but it was someone with whom you would have sexual relationships and have children. And kings would have a whole harem. So I said this was a thing. Saul had multiple wives and multiple women in his harem. Some were his legal wives, some were concubines. They did this in order to not just share the love, (laughs) but to also have lots and lots of children. And so there was this one named Ritzpah. And she, actually, her son is going to come back into our story at some, time, at some point. And it's a very interesting story. It's one of my favorite stories in this whole narrative. But Ritzpah was a concubine. Well, now that Saul's dead, Ishbosheth goes to, to Abner and says, Hey, hold up. Time out. I'm king. She was part of my father's harem. She's off limits to you. Now, part of that. Was because if you were the king, you got to say whether you were going to keep all of your father's wives and concubines. I know it's weird. You're going to keep all of those for yourself, or you could give permission for them to be parceled out. And it appears, whether it's true or not, that Ishbosheth feels like Abner is having relationships. He's having relations with Rizpah, and so he confronts him on it. Now here's the thing, we don't know if it's true or not, and the story never lets on whether it's true or not, but that is what he believes. And so Ishbosheth, who already knows that his power is waning, goes to Abner and says, why have you done this thing? Because to take a concubine was in essence to say, I'm in power. We're going to see in David's stories that one of his sons takes all of his wives and concubines and says, no, they're mine now. And he does it in a very graphic way. That's a story for later. But it was a way for him to say, no, father, you're not the king anymore. I'm the king. And so Ishbosheth, who thinks, whether it's true or not, that Abner has taken a concubine feels like he's not only taking this woman as his wife or as as a mistress, he's also saying, I have the power over Ishbosheth. So it was a power move. Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul your father. To his brothers, to his friends, to his brothers, to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. Then he says, "God do so to Abner, I love when people speak in the third person. Do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set it up, the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba, the whole country." Now, this is an interesting, this is an interesting admission by Abner. For the first time on his lips, we find out that Abner knows Saul's house isn't supposed to be in charge. Abner knows that God had transferred the kingdom over to David. So it begs the question why, throughout this war, extended war between the two parts, the civil war between the two parts of Israel, the northern part where Ishbosheth and Abner ruled, and the southern part where David and Joab ruled, why this continuing war if you know it's for naught? If you know that God's given the kingdom over to David, why battle on? I don't know what his motive is. It could be loyalty. We talked about this uh, in our community group the other night, for those of you that were there. I mean, it could be loyalty. It could be that he was so loyal to Saul and the house of Saul that he thought, you know what? Even though I know... That God's going to transfer this thing. This is what I've been called and told to do. So I'm going to be there. But if that is the case, is it not misplaced loyalty? Is it not wrong loyalty? Is it not pig-headed loyalty? It's saying I'm more loyal to a man than I am to the God of the universe. I'm more loyal to a geography than I am to the God of the universe. I'm more loyal to the power of a house than I am to the God of the universe. So if it is loyalty, it's wrong loyalty. It's loyalty in the face of the God of the universe. The other thing it could be was that even though he knew it was going to transfer to David at some point. He was going to strain at the gnat to get any amount of power and control and prestige that he could, whether for wealth or to leverage to get a position in David's kingdom. Either way, wrong loyalty or self-preservation and power and wealth. Abner was all about himself. And do Dun- doesn't it kind of show that that when he's confronted, whether it's true or not that he has taken this concubine, his immediate reaction is, oh, you're gonna confront me, then I'm gonna do away with you. This was his opportunity to leverage what he did have to join David and to get rid of Ishbosheth. I see this as a power move. It's political at its very core. So Abner, again, Whatever his motive is here for staying with Saul in his house up to this point, that's out the window. What comes now is Abner's self-preservation. And he masks it in this idea of, oh, well, God is transferring the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel. He's masked it in this God language. Now, I'm going to stop and say, This is a lot easier to do than we think it is. How many people have we seen fallen in the evangelical church or in the mainline church whose motives were really all about themselves? And they had created powerful ministries. And they had had lots of people that followed them. All to come to find out that there was brokenness there and selfishness there, that they were pursuing all the wrong things with the wrong motives. It's a lot more common than we think it is. And do we not find ourselves in this position sometimes? We choose what we want even though we know it is in opposition to what God wants. I'll admit it. I do it. Sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit speak to me, and I'm like, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> I want to do this anyway. I can't hear you. This is what I want. I'm going to ignore you because I really want to pursue this. So to look at Abner and be critical is, is okay, But if we're gonna be critical of Abner, we need to take the log out of our own eye, right? Because it's there. Abner reminds us that we are human and that at our core, we function out of selfishness. And That's not what we were created for, but that's what fallen humanity does, self-preservation. We are all political beings in some way or another, and I don't mean that you go and vote I mean, we are all political in that we are seeking ways to jockey for power and position, for comfort, for protection. I mean, is that not really what Abner was doing this whole time? Whether his motivation was blind loyalty or whether it was self-preservation and power and wealth, whatever it was, he knew that he was going against what God wanted. And so finally, he, he believes that he'll just relent. And so when he confronts Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth, verse eleven, cannot answer Abner another word because he feared him. Verse twelve, and Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, and on his behalf, not Ishbosheth's behalf, but his own behalf, saying, "To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all over all Israel to you." He makes a turn. Abner leaves Ishbosheth behind and goes straight to David and says, Hey, I'm playing for you now. And here's how this is going to go. I can deliver all of Israel and I can make it happen to you if you will covenant with me. Now, we don't know the terms of that covenant, but you have to think that it had something to do with I want to be in power in your new kingdom. Give me control over part of the kingdom. Or, let me continue to have the wealth and the prosperity that I have. Verse 13. And he said, he being David, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face, we shall not make this covenant with one another, you will not come into my presence, unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, When you come to see me, and you come to see my face. Does anybody remember who that woman is? His wife. Which wife? His first wife. And how did he acquire her? He killed Philistines. And he did some other things to the Philistines. If you remember, he had to... to, What what, was the what? Yeah, he had to take trophies. That's that's a good way of saying it. He had to take trophies to prove that he had killed all these Philistines. And if you weren't here, he cut off their foreskins and took them. It was a bloody sight and scene. And he takes these foreskins and he says, "Here, Saul, look, I've killed all these Philistines." And Saul gave him his daughter Michal, but then he took her away. And so legally speaking, David is still married to her. But Saul had given her to someone else as a political move. And so now, David says, okay, this is how this is going to go. I'll accept you into my kingdom, but you've got to get me my wife back. Now, why do you think he did that? Not rhetorical. Why was this his request? All right. So it was going to be a difficult task, and it would prove his loyalty to David. Anything else? Why do you think David requested Michal back? Say that again? Link the royal families. This was not a move of love. As much as we would like to think it and romanticize it, David saw this as a political opportunity to link two kingdoms together. He already had six wives, and we're going to learn that he has another one from another place and a couple more from somewhere else, and then he's got all these concubines, and then there's this whole Bathsheba thing that's a really fun story. It's not like David needed another wife. It wasn't out of love. It was a political move. And so David said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, but first you've got to make sure that I have Michal. Why would he want her when he already had Abner? I think it's because he didn't trust Abner. I think he knew that Abner was all about Abner, and that he was someone that was, whose loyalty was questionable, at least to him. He knew that Abner was all about self-preservation. And so he wanted a way to link himself to Saul's family so that there wouldn't be backlash from the northern part of the kingdom. Then David sent messengers not to Abner, but Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife. I know that that's offensive, women. But that's what the thought was. Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Peltiel, the son of Lash. Actually, you can pronounce that Lush, but that just sounds weird. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharum. Then Abner said to him, go return, and he returned. This is a weird scene. So David says, Abner, if I'm going to accept you in, you've got to get Michal back for me. But then behind Abner's back, he sends someone to Ishbosheth himself. Why would he do that? He didn't trust Abner. So he sends to Ishbosheth, and Ishbosheth, who has no power now, and now sees that if he doesn't do this, all the power that resided in his family could be, could be lost completely, all gone away. So in Ishbosheth's mind, you've got to think that he's thinking, well, if I give him my sister, then maybe there's a way for us to work out a deal. I'm sorry, women, but that's how women were treated. It's despicable and disgusting. I get it. It's what they did. It was trading women for power and connection. And so Ishbosheth sees this opportunity and sends his sister. So, what does this teach us? what What's the lesson here today? I think the lesson is that in the middle of a world that's all about self, and a culture that promotes comfort and self, we have a decision to make. Are we going to try to grasp onto all that we can and hold it for ourselves? Are we going to let the self win out over what we know is right? Whose voice are we going to listen to? The God of the universe or our own? Or the culture's voice? Or the one that promises power and prestige and wealth and comfort? That's what Abner chased. And we see that in the end of things, Abner chased all of those things wrongly. Next week, we're going to see how it ends for Abner. And it's not pretty. So we have a choice. But here's the thing that I think is another lesson learned here. It shows us just how insignificant we really are. No matter how hard Abner tried, there was nothing he could do to stop what God was doing. No matter how hard he pursued controlling and keeping Saul's kingdom, he just couldn't do it. When we go toe-to-toe with God, He always wins. And in the middle of the chaos that we create, and in the middle of the chaos that is this world, God still gets His work done. Abner tried to manufacture this connection of the kingdoms, but God was going to do it anyway. And that's, by the way, what Abner knew. Abner knew that God was going to win anyway, so I might as well leverage it while I have the chance. And in so doing, He ends up destroying lives. So for us, here's the bottom line, God wins, so quit fighting it. God's will is way better than our own, so just submit. God's going to do great things with or without us, so we might as well get on board. In the middle of chaos, he still reigns. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.